Thank you, Pastor Brad. Um, before I get started, on behalf of my wife Maureen and I, you know, we first came here, we were searching for a church, and it took a while. We're no longer search, searching for a church family. This is now our church family, and we just want to thank you for the warm and, and welcoming embrace that you have given us as we joined this church. So thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, we're going to get into God's Word. If you can turn with me to James chapter 4. James 4. This is a tough passage. One that we should really seriously consider. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. I've entitled this message, War and Peace. Let's read God's Word. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not ask because you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Let's pray for God's help as we unpack his word. Father, we come before you this morning. With our hearts open, our Bibles open, and we pray that old Anglican prayer. Lord, what we do not know, will you teach us? What we cannot see, will you show us? And what we are not, will you make us for the praise and glory of your name? Amen and amen. So here we start the fourth chapter, which basically continues the theme of chapter 3. In fact, James's initial comments are regarding the, the text of the destructive power of the tongue that he makes in chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. And he builds it to a climax right here as we enter into chapter 4. He's dealing with open conflicts among Christians. And he further unpacks the effects of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that Pastor Caleb so richly embellished last week. 
So here in our text this morning, what we're going to see is James sets forth the reasons for fights among believers as well as their tragic results. But he doesn't leave us without an answer. He doesn't leave us without a recommendation to stop these conflicts that have taken a toll within our ranks. His diagnosis includes a prescription for handling all sorts of conflicts. Now, last week, Pastor Caleb took us through the end of chapter 3, and I want you to notice the stark contrast in tone as we move into chapter 4. So let me go through what Pastor Caleb closed with last week. He said, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now watch this, the first verse of chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the pleasures, the desires for pleasures within you? Notice how quickly James changes gear and describes for us the opposite end of the spectrum in which Pastor Caleb closed us with last week. He was showing us last week that peace and gentleness and truth and righteousness that follow true wisdom, the type of wisdom that God gives us who who follow him, the type of wisdom that comes from above, heavenly wisdom. And now he shows what happens if we ignore godly wisdom in our lives, if we only have our own wisdom, the wisdom of the world. And James is going to draw us to three things in this passage. And the first thing he's going to draw our attention to is the war we wage, the war we wage. He opens this passage with a question. Where do wars and fights come from among you? If you notice in our text this morning, it opens with a question and it closes with a question. And whenever we see that in scriptures, it's a signal for us to really to sit down and to seriously seriously consider what that means to us in our lives. Not only to those who James wrote the letter to in that, that time, but how do we apply it to us? So this is this is a tough passage but it's a real passage. And it's a passage, I think, if we're honest with each other, we all need to consider. So the first thing, the wars between us. The wars we wage, and he opens that and turns immediately to the wars between us. In his book, The Study of War, Quincy Wright examined a period of time from 1481 to 1981, 500 years And he lists the nations that were engaged in war. This is quite a list. I'll briefly go through it. Great Britain, 78 wars. France, 71. Spain, 64. Russia, 61. Austria, 52. Germany, 23. United States, 13. China, 11. And Japan, 9. Wars don't just last a year, do they? So for 500 years, Quincy is discovering that wars are constantly among us. And today, we have a new term. 
is called the Cold War to describe continuous international tension. And of course, Jesus prophesied that that would come, right? That would be the case. In Matthew 24, Jesus said that before the second coming that we would have what? Wars and rumors of war. Boiling international conflict. Church, the world is a bubbling cauldron. And we see it going around all the time, everywhere we look in an unprecedented way. But here's what we need to note. Look what James says. Where do wars and fights come from? Among you. And who is he writing to? Christians. That's who. The church. It's tragic that while there's fighting and wars going on all around us, there is fighting going on amongst us in the house of God. So many times the church has become a battlefield for immature believers. The fighting is not with the world or other forces, although they may be involved. The fighting is with one another. And this fighting can be over policy. It could be over money. It could be over theology. It could be over leadership. It can even be over the color of paint that we apply to the walls. Or it can be many other things from those of great importance to those that have no real significance at all. Can I share something with you? There's a famous story of a church split that took place over a mural that was to be painted in the church lobby. And everyone agreed that the mural in the lobby was a good idea. And the problem started over the one scene in the mural that was based on the Garden of Eden. Have you heard this before? When the artist came to painting Adam and Eve, he painted belly buttons. And this started a great theological debate and furor over whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in belly button wars. I am interested in this truth, getting into my soul, because the only thing that matters, there are souls out there that do not have Jesus. And if we don't go and share this gospel with them, I pity not only them, but ourselves. God told us to go. Not to sit in our homes and hibernate and say, Jesus is mine. He said, Go, not to make converts, but to make disciples. But unfortunately, this fighting does go on over all kinds of things, usually of secondary importance or really of no importance at all. And we do see quarrels and fights in Scripture all the time, don't we? Lot quarreled with Abraham. Last week, Pastor Caleb talked about how Absalom fought with his father, King David. We know the disciples, they, they fought amongst themselves of who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And of course, don't forget the church at Corinth or Galatia, where they were fighting all the time. I believe St. Augustine had the best advice for the church. He said, 
On the essential things, there must be unity. On the non-essential things, there must be liberty. But in all things, there must be charity. James draws our attentions to the wars between us. But the question is, where do they come from? And he answers his own question with another question that shows where they come from. The wars between us come from the wars within us. You see that in verse 1 through 3? Where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Man is the great enemy of mankind, isn't he? I'm going to date myself. There's a great comic book character called Pogo that was written between 1948 and 1975. I don't know if you remember him, but he had a phrase and it became famous. It was, we have met the enemy and he is us. Also many years ago, an article appeared in the London Times. This is what it was entitled. What's wrong with the world today? And in response to that article, a letter to the editor arrived and was published And this is what it said. This is in response to your article on what's wrong with the world today. I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. Of course, if you know G.K. Chesterton, he was that great Christian apologist, friend and running mate of C.S. Lewis. I am. James says that strife grows out of the passions that are waging within us. Listen to me. The outer conflicts we have with others come from the inner conflicts we have within ourselves. These desires, they're translated from the Greek word hadon or hedonon, in which we get our word hedonism. In each of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we have desires and pleasures for lust. It's actually interesting that that term hedonon is actually a neutral term. It's neither good nor bad. And James is not saying that these desires are necessarily bad. He's talking about legitimate desires. The desire to be free of oppression. The desire to have good health. The desire to find a spouse. The desire to have children. To have some physical need met. These are legitimate desires but when conflict results the conflict results when they're thwarted or frustrated and we allow our desires to rule us and become the motivating factors in us so when i'm not getting things done my way the fight begins and the world field feeds all of this doesn't it People are encouraged today. Stand up for your rights. Express yourself in any way you want. You can go to colleges and universities and take a class on how to be assertive. 
It's shocking to know what our colleges and universities are offering as legitimate courses. But I'll tell you what course I've never seen offered, how to be submissive. This war within us is raging, desire out of control, covetousness and grasping. I've got to have things at any cost. Dr. Samuel Johnson, this remarkable 18th century uh, wisdom and writer, once wrote a brief dissertation about this. And he said openly and he said candidly this. Can I read it to you? Of all that have tried the selfish experiment, let one come forth and say he has succeeded. He that had made gold his idol, has it satisfied him? He that has toiled in ambition, has he been repaid? He that has ransacked every theater of sensual enjoyment, is he content? Can anyone answer in the affirmative? No, not one. There's an emphatic denial that chasing the things of the world will not fill you, will not satisfy you. And would you note that James says that this attitude of having to have our own personal desires fulfilled can ruin the prayer life of a Christian. Listen, one thing I love about this church, we are bathed in prayer. I, I come from a church where the Sunday night prayer service had 20 to 30 people. I come here on a Wednesday evening. There's up to 150 people in here on their knees crying out to God to say, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Show us, Lord, your glory. But when we pray in the wrong attitude, look what it says in verse 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. He says the first problem is that in your headlong pursuit of happiness, you don't pray. You don't seek God for the things that truly satisfy. Not the things of this world, but the things that are found only in God. Church, prayer should always be our first point of action, our first attack. It shouldn't be the last resort. And he says the second problem is that when you do pray, you are motivated by the wrong motives. The things that you ask for, again, just to fulfill your self-centered desires. And listen, God's not going to answer those prayers. So you come to the result, the prayer doesn't work. Can I say that that's utter nonsense? That wasn't a prayer. That's a wish list. And God is not Santa Claus, nor is a genie in a bottle. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe, and he has a plan. He has a reason for the events in your life. Haven't we seen that in this book of James from the very beginning? Listen, life isn't all about being comfortable and full. It is about desiring God's will and seeking to please him so that he can fill your life 
with joy and make it pleasing to live. That's what we need to do. We need to lead, live, live our lives to the one and only person in God who gave us a true life. So the wars are between us. In fact, by the wars within us. But now, James drops a bombshell. Do you realize what is the foundation of the war? Do you realize what the foundation of the war within us is? The war with God. The war with God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? This is the bottom line. It's that our sinful nature is so naturally opposed to God's holiness that we are continually being drawn to the world's agenda the world's way of thinking, and away from God's purposes. We're constantly being drawn by what we hear, what we see, what we're exposed to. The world is bombarding Christians all over. And sometimes we are weak and we give in and we neglect the things of God. James says that if you cultivate a friendship with the world, if you let the stuff of the world get into your heart, get its attitudes into your mindset, listen to me, he says, you declare yourself an enemy of God, in hostilities with God. That's what James is saying. He's echoing what John said in 1 John chapter 2.15. You know this. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So James and John, how about Paul? In that great chapter 8 of Romans, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And then finally, how about in John's gospel, chapter 18? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. And if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And all these things they will do unto you because they have not known of him who has sent me. So that's the way the wars that we wage. Pretty depressing. It's a sad state of affairs. I told you this is a, a tough verse to get our hands, about, our hands around because this is true. But again, James doesn't leave us floundering in the water without a life preserver. Second thing we need to talk about is the way of blessing. The way of blessing. 
Let's read verses 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. I love this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The answer for all of our warring, for example, our voluntary alignment with the things of the world, our consequent discontent within ourselves and our resulting discord with others, if we remember one thing to combat all that, it's this. It is in the friendship of God. Living in his covenant of grace. We have to admit we are sinners. But praise God, Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he comes to us and he embraces us. He has chosen you. You who were once dead, but God. The two most powerful words in the Bible, but God. Because the things that we thought impossible, for God it is nothing but God. He was the one who took you out of that miry pit. He was the one who put your feet upon the rock. He was the one who put a new song on your lips. We need to be living in the friendship of God. Can I give you three steps with to have unbroken friendship with God? First thing we need to do is declare yourself. Pledge your allegiance to the Lord. Be positive. Submit to God and resist the devil. The result is God will receive you. Too many Christians are hiding in their houses, trying to straddle the fence between the world and the church. We do this our baptisms, right? It's a public proclamation. I am a sinner saved by grace. God is my Savior. I am unashamed of the gospel, present of the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. We need to live like we're children of God. We need to speak like we're children of God. We just don't hide out and try not to offend people. We need to declare ourselves. Secondly, we need to devote ourselves. Devote ourselves. Draw near to God. And what's the result? He will draw near to you. I love this verse in the Acts church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says the disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. Devotions are fine. They're a great a great supplement to our spiritual disciplines. But nothing is like digging into God's word to mind for this these wonderful nuggets that the word has to offer. If you get stumped by something and say, what is this all about? Keep digging. God has a, has a word for you, not from the world but from this very book that we treasure, are we not people of the book? Are we not children of the way? 
We need to have a love affair once again with this book. Fellowship. We need to be associated with like-minded people so we can edify each other. We can encourage each other. We can grow together. We can learn and share more about Jesus. And then in the strength and the wisdom of God, we can go out and proclaim Jesus to the world that needs to hear it. Breaking of bread. Listen, that's, that's more than just receiving communion. You know, one of the things I love about this church, other than Pastor Caleb and Pastor Brad, you love to eat. <laughs> and I just think it's a wonderful thing when the family of God comes together and shares the meal and breaks bread with each other and just shares stories of testimonies of what God is doing in our lives. I think that is crucial. We are not to forsake the assembling of coming together. And prayer. And Paul spoke about prayer in Ephesians 6. There's two offensive weapons. We all know about the sword of the spirit. But what people neglect is that prayer is the second tool, offensive tool, that he tells us to use. Are you praying? Are you recognizing who you stand before? The holiest of holies. The God of this universe, are you in awe of who you are praying to? Do you know that he is welcoming you into his throne room? Do you not know that he is making intercession for you even now? We need to understand that heartfelt prayer, not half-hearted prayer, whole-hearted prayer to the king of the universe who has opened his throne room. I don't know about you, if you ever tried to call the president... He ain't picking up the phone. But if I speak to my Jesus, he answers me every single time. He not only hears prayer, he answers prayer. We need to get that. Declare yourself. Devote yourself. Deny yourself the last step. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts Mourn over your sin and humble yourself. The result is that God will lift you up. God will lift you up. And finally, I've got to land this plane here. Point number three, avoiding the enemy's other trap. Verses 11 to 12. This is a strong world word. If the enemy can't keep us in worldliness, he will almost be certainly content with trying to snare us in the exposing extreme. Legalism, self-righteousness, and judgmental attitudes. James now brings up the horrible habit of judging believers. And these two go hand in hand. Speaking against a sister and judging her. Speaking against slandering her brother and condemning him. The Bible repeatedly condemns judgmental attitudes and actions. Jesus said, do not judge so you will not be judged, right? Paul said, you have no excuse. Everyone who passes judgment, for in that which you judge yourself, you condemn yourself. The idea of withholding judgment is certainly biblical. But we need to note the context. Jesus spoke of a pharisaical, 
legalistic judgmentalism with a more righteous than thou attitude. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of my own eye when there's a log in mine? Or Paul wrote, but do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? This is important. Listen to me. The Bible targets self-serving, malicious judgment while actually encouraging wise and righteous discernment. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge, but judge with righteous judgment. What we use as the foundation to judge is God's word, not our own opinions. James says that if you tear down and judge your fellow Christian, you become a lawbreaker. What law is James referring to? Well, it's certainly not the law of Moses. And certainly isn't those 613 laws that the Judaizers put into effect. James refers to the law that he's been advocating from the very beginning of his letter. He's describing the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the real problem with judging others is that it becomes perilously close to playing God. And James reminds us that there is only one lawgiver and one judge. And here's a news flash. It ain't us. I'm going to ask Pastor Brad and Pastor Zeth to, to come on up because that last question in our text, who are you to judge one another? We might paraphrase that indictment this way. Who do you think you are? Or who made you God? In the light of James' teaching, how would we answer this question? I would hope that we would be people seeking to walk with God in the lowest humility. Because we know that is the way of blessing. We have learned that the way down is the way up. We seek for ourselves the lowest place. But if we exalt ourselves over a brother, is not the reality of our life with God called into question? I believe today more than ever, we need to consider this passage seriously. I believe that we need to really sit there, look ourselves into the mirror, and preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Listen, we are... We are broken people. Our sin nature has broken us. But we have a Savior who is the great potter who puts us back on the wheel and recreates them. If he can create, he certainly can recreate. And he makes all things new. So I want you to consider that question as we close out our service here with the word. And what better time for us to 
reflect on ourselves and where we are in position to God's word here this morning than for us to come to God's table, the table of remembrance. I pray that as we do that, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we should examine ourselves. And I pray here as before we take the elements of communion, before Pastor Brad presides over that, that you would examine yourself to see if you are not worthy to partake in the body and blood of Jesus Christ.